the basis for kind of why we have high conviction in, in a strategy like this and in gender lens investing is, you know, really driven by a lot of academic research that links company performance with greater levels of gender diverse leadership teams. So we dove in kind of head first to that research really analyzing what the investment opportunity is when you have companies with greater levels of women at the top. This is Money Conscious from Millstone Evans Group. I'm your host, Sasha Millstone. Join me as we discuss investing, financial planning, and life. Visit us at millstoneevansgroup.com and thanks for joining us. Welcome, everybody. I'm really excited about today's Money Conscious episode. We have Women's History Month coming up very shortly, and uh, we have a wonderful guest who is going to be talking about a fund that is probably one of the most important in terms of the advancement of women in the workforce. So we're really excited to welcome Kelly Baldoni, she is the head of Global Women's Strategies at Impacts Asset Management, and she is overseeing a national sales and marketing initiatives for the firm's Gender Lens Strategies. She's a product specialist for the Impacts Elevate Global Women's Leadership Fund. She joined Impacts in 2014, and 2014 is the year that Impacts was founded. So Kelly has been with the fund the whole time, and she has honed and expanded the firm's practice management resources, which help financial advisors very effectively engage with and serve women investors as well as the next generation of clients. Kelly's an expert on impact and gender lens investing. She contributes articles to industry publications and is regularly presenting at industry conferences and events all over the country. Welcome, Kelly. So happy to have you. We've been working together a long time. I was going to say, in the bio, you've forgotten friend of mine. We've, been, <laughs> we've both been at this pretty much since the beginning. I mean, you've been working with Impacts and previously Pax World for many, many years and ahead of the, the curve on sustainable investing and gender lens investing. So thanks for having me on. Well, it was so fun to prepare for this episode because it gave me the opportunity to really kind of look back and see where we were in 2014 and before that and how far things have come, which is a real tribute to the work that you've done. So let's get into it. The fund, as I said, was launched for retail investors in June of 2014, and that means that you have observed a tremendous evolution. Impacts Elevate Global Women's Leadership was the first broadly diversified mutual fund that invested in the highest rated companies in the world for advancing women. The methodologies started with gender diverse boards and senior leadership teams, and they've really evolved as we're going to talk about today. They've discovered much more specifically, what really moves the needle in terms of moving women forward in the corporate world. 
This fund is about two-thirds invested in U.S. stocks and one-third in foreign stocks, so it it is global. It's about 70% in North American stocks, about a quarter in Europe and the Middle East, and 5% in Pacific. So, Kelly, when you first started with this fund, what were some of the focuses of the research? Yeah, that's a great question. And I had joined at the time, PAX World, now IMPAX, about a month before we launched the IMPAX Elevate Fund. So it's been a fun journey to kind of watch where we were then to where we are now. And even prior to my arrival and the launch of this fund, our firm actually began offering the first mutual fund in the U.S. to invest with a gender lens all the way back in 2007. So we've been at this quite a long time. And The basis for kind of why we have high conviction in in a strategy like this and in gender lens investing is, you know, really driven by a lot of academic research that links company performance with greater levels of gender diverse leadership teams. So we dove in kind of headfirst to that research really analyzing what the investment opportunity is when you have companies with greater levels of women at the top, essentially. And so that's always been the basis of our work. It's very much to deliver a a strong performing, you know, strategy and portfolio. But the research, you know, really started with women on the board and the link to financial performance there. And it's grown so much over time. I think we cite over like 70 research reports now just in our materials alone that look at women in management as it relates to company performance. We look at the link between diversity and more resilient companies, more innovative companies. We've actually recently conducted some of our own internal research on the gender data that we have now had and been collecting in-house since 2014 and found that workplace policies and practices, like if a company is disclosing pay equity, for example, that that's a signal of a strong performing company. So the business case for gender lens investing continues to grow, continues to be really strong, and it's fun to be the first really offering a product, but now joined by so many that validates this this investment concept and, and what we've kind of known all along. I looked back at some of the statistics. And in 2009, the S&P 500 boards had about 17% women and 12% minorities. And now they're closer to 50% women and 25% minorities respectively, which is really quite a big change. Interesting though, that you have found in your special research that you guys have conducted that women in management is actually a better indication of progress than the number of women on boards. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think to to clarify the point a little bit, we've we've seen the women in management as a stronger signal of alpha, so of delivering performance. I think they're all correlated, Sasha, honestly, but it's, it is kind of in line with other research that's out there that just shows the impact of management teams. I think when, you know, we probably think about it logically, they have more of a hand in the day-to-day operations, right, of, of an organization than the board does in a lot of ways. And so, 
you know, my thinking is that hopefully you have a diverse board that's putting in a diverse management team, but it's, you know, we're finding that the, the manager is having the diversity of thought, experience, gender, race, et cetera. That's all adding positively to the bottom line of the, the company. We're seeing greater financial performance, but we're seeing some of those other more qualitative factors like greater innovation, greater client focus, greater long-term focus, et cetera. It's actually pretty difficult to find, you know, anything bad that happens at a company <laughs> when you have diverse leadership teams in place that we're probably all going, yeah, of course. But when there's still not enough companies that have even gotten close to parity from an investment standpoint, that's an advantage to us. That's the secret you know, kind of sauce that we're aiming to capture the returns associated with diversity and deliver those to clients. Well, when we think about the fact that before 2014, really, there wasn't a lot of measurement of all of these different factors. And just the fact that there's review processes, and people such as yourselves, who are using this data and making a case for increasing diversity in many ways, that focus has meant we get better results because there are more women and minorities hired, and we're just continuing to measure. And as you say, it, it ends up showing everybody, hey, this is great for the bottom line. And also, our employees are much happier. So it's definitely a win-win. And it's been a pretty quick transition, even though it didn't seem so going through it at the time. How do you think that the big Me Too kind of explosion, did that impact the focus on this fund or on practices of companies in a positive way? Definitely. You know, from the seat that I sit in and kind of business development, sales and marketing, I can tell you that flows going into gender lens strategies certainly increased during Me Too, Time's Up, even after Sheryl Sandberg's kind of lean in movement took place. There was definitely a correlation between this is on people's minds and wanting to align their investments with their beliefs in a lot of ways and, and change that they wanted to see happen. So from that perspective, it was great to see capital being directed towards companies that value the role of women in leadership and technically away from, from companies that do not. And then I think from the company standpoint, transparency is more important now than ever before. You know, reputational risk is a real thing. And as consumers, you know, we want as much transparency as possible. And so we push on the companies that we own, not only in this fund, but across all of the funds that we have at our firm to ask for more, for more disclosure, for more information around employee demographic data, around the diversity of their boards, around policies like pay equity. You know, we want that disclosed so that we can use it in our analysis and to measure because we think they're important indicators of financial performance. It's, it's also something that's happened is that the pay gap has been reduced significantly over the time that you guys have been doing this work. And I think having to report, make things public, has had a, a, obviously a huge impact in a positive way for the workforce in general. You guys hit a big milestone last fall, didn't you, in terms of assets under management? 
We did. We crossed a billion in assets in this fund last year. Yeah. You are still the leader. There are other players, but you guys, I think, are still the leader in the space. I think you set the tone and the bar, essentially. Yeah, we were thrilled with that. You know, like I said, we were the first to come to market with a strategy like this. And it wasn't easy being the lone soldier. And and I don't think any anybody in the investment industry that's you know, typically a, a little bit more stale and traditional in nature finds it easy to, to be pioneers, to be doing something new, to be talking about something that nobody else is talking about. But our president, Joe Keefe, was really fearless in that and had high conviction in 2007 when he, he started to bring this into our firm. And he still has that same level of, of conviction today. So it was it was really encouraging to see us raise so many assets over the last eight years or so in this fund. And it's also encouraging to see the quote unquote competition kind of come into the space because we don't see it as competition. We see it as validating that this is a really smart investment concept. And we were the first here in the U.S. We were the largest in the U.S. now. And so we're proud of that. But we're also really proud of just the space um, around gender lens investing growing more broadly and becoming more popular. Let's talk a little bit about how you do create the portfolio, because I know, don't you rebalance it every year pretty much? Yeah, I can talk about, you know, essentially how we're identifying the companies to own that we're saying are the best gender leadership companies. So we actually have a gender analytics team that is responsible for creating a impacts gender score. So it's a proprietary score that essentially we are applying to the universe of companies in the MSCI World Index. So that index has about 1,600 mostly large cap companies in them. And we're ranking them essentially 1 to 1,600 based on our impact score. And then we invest in the top 25%. So that shakes out to roughly about the highest scoring 400 companies. Those are going to be the companies that we own. And I can tell you the components that go into our score. So when we started, it was the representation of women in leadership. So in 2014, we launched the the fund and we were looking at what percentage of women were making up the board of directors and executive management and the C-suite. Because that was the data that we could find, to your point earlier, Sasha, it it was really what was available. And there was all of that academic research that was linking diversity at the top to company performance. And that's what we wanted to capture and deliver. Then fast forward to 2019, we actually were able to add additional components to our score or criteria that we were evaluating companies on. And we kind of categorized those as workplace equity policies. So we're now looking to see if a company is disclosing information around gender pay equity, the hiring, promotion, and retention of women, if they're signatories to the UN's women's empowerment principles, which is like a code of conduct a company can voluntarily sign, if a company is setting proactive gender-related goals and targets, and then if they're transparent around their employee demographic and, and gender diversity data. So those components of our score were added in 2019 because more and more companies started to disclose them. When we started eight, nine years ago, we couldn't get that data reliably, you know, across our our 1,600 companies we were evaluating. And it was just so few and far between. But today, 
I think because of the pressure from consumers, companies are starting to disclose these kind of things more voluntarily. They don't technically have to in, in most geographies. It depends where the company's headquartered. But so, yeah, so now that's part of our score. It's a proprietary score, so we don't disclose the weights, but the bulk is still in the, the leadership. And then, yeah, we rank them 1 to 1,600 based on our impact score and do that process once a year at the end of every year. I was looking at some of your top 10 companies in the fund, and a lot of them have pretty high goals for what they're trying to accomplish in terms of the percentage of women that they have in management and on their boards. And also, they're establishing, or they have established, and they're really working to expand programs that are mentorship-type programs. So that encouraging young folks and helping them along in a way that gives them the leadership skills that they need as they grow. Yeah, it, it's it's funny when people say, Kelly, what kind of companies are you owning in a global women's leadership fund? You know, it sounds really niche But when you look at the list of our holdings, to your point, Sasha, you know, the top 10 include... Apple and Accenture and Citigroup and these big companies that a lot of people are owning in a in a general large cap equity fund, but they might not know that 33% of Apple's board is women and 28% of their executive management team. Or for Microsoft, it's 42% of their board, 30% executive management, and their CFO is a female. And so we we sometimes surprise people when they look at our holdings. These aren't the think pink kind of companies or the girly kind of companies. They're really high quality companies that you'd probably want to own anyway. This is just our way of identifying them. And they wouldn't be configured this way if they hadn't been pushed to consider it. But also, they wouldn't be configured this way if they hadn't had tremendous success as they were implementing these changes. Yes. Because they're there to maximize their earnings. They're not going to do something that's not going to help their growth. So, ergo, it is helping their growth, and they're committed to more and more expansion of who they're working with and who they're employing. Kelly, what are you most proud of? Maybe some of the top few things that you're most proud of accomplishing over the time that you've been shepherding this fund? That's a really good question, Sasha. And I think we touched on one with just the growth of the fund. We're definitely proud of, I think, staying as pioneering as, as we can, you know, throughout the the life of this this fund. You know, we haven't just settled in on this as our process and it's going to be stagnant. It's something that's always evolving. We're always pushing the boundary. We're always progressing what we're looking at, trying to get more information, trying to just have a deeper and better analysis when it comes to applying a gender lens on the companies we're evaluating. So I'm really proud of our research team the Impact's gender analytics team and our portfolio managers for just continuing to push the envelope. And I think just our conviction in that this is a really smart investment concept. You know, we have other products and sometimes there's different trends in the sustainable space that can be more popular than others. But for us, we've just stayed really steadfast in our approach, not just from an investment lens with 
the Pax Elevate Fund, but also through our commitment to just DEI at Impax as a firm, and also through our engagement efforts. You know, shareholder engagement is is something we're certainly proud of because that's where you can really see the needle move on specific issues that you're trying to address, like board diversity or, or pay equity. And so our team around engagement definitely makes me, you know, very proud to do the things that we do and get to tell the stories to, you know, people like you, Sasha, and your clients of, hey, here's where the needle was moved and impact was made as a result of your investment with us and your confidence in what we do. Do you have a story that you might like to share to help our listeners understand a little bit more about how that engagement works and why it's so important? Yeah, definitely. One that's been really exciting and and multi-year kind of process and dialogue is a conversation we've been having with Disney. So since 2020, we've been speaking with them about pay equity disclosure, EDI efforts and human capital management, really looking for them to further disclose information around those areas specifically related to any gender or racial pay gaps. So we've been encouraged by our, our conversations with them. First, on the employee demographic data. So if you're familiar, we're asking them to disclose EEO1 data. And what's important about that is when we get the employee demographic data, information, that provides a baseline and a starting point to then assess how a company is either progressing or not, right, over time, specifically towards their diversity targets. So a lot of companies can like throw these diversity targets out there, but then how do we know that they're meeting them and how are they tracking them? So that was kind of the first issue we we took up with them in 2020, since they have committed to disclosing that information in 2021 you know, they officially disclosed it. So that was, you know, engagement can take many years. So starting just the year prior, that was pretty impressive for a company the size of Disney. If you think about their workforce, it's everybody from the corporate executives to thousands and thousands of park employees. So that was a huge undertaking. And we're really impressed and and happy that our partnership and dialogue with them led to that. Disclosure and the same happened around pay equity as well. You know, we had many conversations with them about the importance of disclosing that. And in 2022, they published a pay equity report providing the data around not only gender, but race as well. And so as you think about the cycle between when you started that conversation with Disney and and when they went ahead and did the disclosures, what did you observe about how the company thought and felt about all of this? You know, when we started engaging with companies, my colleague, Heather Smith, she she leads this effort. She would tell me that, I mean, it was hard to get people to pick up the phone or call you back. And if you just take board diversity, for example, it just wasn't a priority and it was pretty clear. And, and that was across the board at, at some of you know the largest companies in the world is, is who we're often trying to get in front of. And then if you fast forward to the, just the last few years, it's it's a 180. Companies know that this is critical to business success. Things like board diversity and workplace policies like diversifying their, their talent pipeline and advancing women through the workforce and disclosing pay equity, all of those things, they know there's a, there's a business imperative to them. And so they want to talk with us. You know, what's nice is that we're often in conversations that make it feel more like a partnership 
than us kind of coming at them from a frustrated angle of you need to change or you need to do this better. It's like, hey, how can we help you? We have some best practices because we work with thousands of companies and, and here's how companies of your size achieve this. Here's you know what we think a a target should be for a company of your size. So often it is a a nice dialogue partnership. Sometimes when they're not responding, it can get to the let's file a shareholder proposal. Let's take this to a vote. We don't see any meaningful, you know, change coming from conversations that we've had or they're not responding. And then, you know, the last step, if they're not, if company isn't responding is you divest and you don't own them anymore. But we like to definitely go more towards the partnership dialogue conversation. And that's what it was like with Disney. It's so exciting how effective it is. And just looking over our careers, it's been a sea change. And that change has mostly happened really in the last, I don't even think it's been 10 years. I I personally just, not a scientific opinion, but just from what I've seen, I would say it's more been like in the last seven years that things have raced ahead. And it's like there's this huge breakthrough that I don't know what took so long, but there's lots of people who can add, by adding diversity, you add really important perspectives, Mm -hmm. different ways of doing things, different kinds of communication styles, and it's really a win-win. So congratulations, Kelly. You should feel great about what you've accomplished. I'm not taking all the credit, Sasha, but thank you. (laughs) I'm congratulating you because I know how hard you've worked. It's not only you. It's a big team, a great team, but you've worked your heart out, and it's made a huge impact. Thanks. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Money Conscious. Visit us at millstoneevansgroup.com. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Sasha Millstone. Sasha Millstone is the president and an investment advisor with the Millstone Evans Group, a registered investment advisor located in Colorado. All opinions expressed by Sasha and her podcast guests on this show are their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Millstone Evans Group. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.